warm welcome and uh, we look forward to seeing what happens. Okay with that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist that. It's, uh, it's great to be with you. I really, really like... How long has it been like this? Um, since the summer. Since the summer. I love it. It's tremendous. Tremendous improvement and sense of focus. And uh, this building's always been a wonderful provision for you, but I think coming in as a guest... It makes it very, very attractive, and uh, I really think you've done brilliantly. Just to say, we're, um, you know, we're together in what we call New Frontiers, and uh, just to mention that Wendy and I have just come back from actually three months away. Uh, first of all, in Zimbabwe. Uh, some of you will have heard Scott Marks last summer uh, speaking at the Brighton Conference. Uh, he's gone into Mozambique, four families from his church, living in tents for the last nearly two years. And uh, just to say that that... Uh, egg and chicken thing now, they are now producing half a million eggs a month. And uh, that's just really taking off. Uh, then we were with um, PJ Smythe. Some of you know about the battle with cancer he's been having. Um, just to say that the final test has come through and he has one remaining uh, mark on his lung. So he's saying patience to press on through. Uh, so much has been accomplished through the chemo, uh, but he's just looking to God for that final step. Good to be in that very fast-growing church while we were there. Uh, when, then we've been most of the time across in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, some of the people who've gone out from Sussex, uh, Pete Brooks, leading that church in Sydney, which is growing so well, Steve Brading and Ruth Brading, I know, known to a number of you here, doing brilliantly in that church. And now we've planted into Perth, apparently the most isolated city in the world, uh, but full of people, millions of people in Perth, and that little group's beginning to grow. And we've got a small group in Brisbane getting ready to plant into Melbourne, so that's really taking off. And then in New Zealand, we were in Wellington and uh, Christchurch, where they just had an earthquake, uh, but the work's going on well there, and uh, also in Auckland. So we've gathered together the people from what we call the Pacific Rim area, which included uh, guys coming down from Cambodia and from the Philippines and Tom Eaton down from Japan with some of the Jap Japanese believers. Uh, so it was really super just to have everybody together. I had the privilege of visiting that Japan setting last year and speaking to, um, I think, hundreds actually of Japanese pastors from all over the nation and happily the book, Enjoy, uh, God's Lavish Grace, copies of which are outside, uh, uh, translated into Japanese and nearly a thousand copies went uh, during that week so to have impact uh, with the message of grace into that nation is a huge privilege 
Uh, and then we've just been, this last week, uh, I've been across uh, to uh, France to be with uh, 120 Assemblies of God pastors. Again, they asked me to speak on grace, and the book's been translated into French as well. And uh, at the end, there was, it was just a tremendous response. I took five sessions, and they said, would you come back next year to our national conference? And they asked for 100 more copies of the book, and uh, there'll be about 450 pastors next year at the Assemblies of God, the whole national conference. Uh, so it's just a privilege to, to speak and to have, I believe, some impact by the grace of God into those situations. So it's good to be back in lovely cold old England and uh, actually it's a pretty drive over from Brighton this morning and I'm, I'm, I'm need to either this is low that's <laughs> okay uh, would you like to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews, Hebrews and chapter 11 Hebrews and chapter 11 while you're turning there I'm going to read a short reading from elsewhere so while you're looking perhaps you could just listen to a little passage I'm going to read to you from Luke 18, only a few verses, while you turn to Luke to um, Hebrews 11. A ruler questioned Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honour your father and your mother. He said, all these things I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Then in 1 John... I'm just going to read again a few verses which you don't need to turn to. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God and such we are. For this reason the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now we're the children of God. It hasn't yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears we'll be like him because he will, we'll see him just as he is. Perhaps one of the most clear of those verses that talks about now, but not yet. Now we're the children of God. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be. Uh, we are in a wonderful experience of a now salvation, but there's yet more to appear. And then, as I said, Hebrews 11, just reading from verse 23. By faith... Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Father, we thank you so much for your presence here, the joy of gathering with 
other believers who love you, to lift our hearts, our voices, our hands to you. Father, thank you for lives being lived out under your authority, under your care, your shepherding mercy of our lives. Thank you, Father, we can gather together to bring our worship to you. And Father, we thank you that you want to bless us with your word. And we come to you, Father, right now. We thank you for your promise that if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So ask you right now, Father, please, let your Spirit be upon us. Come and teach us. Let us hear your voice. Let us know in our hearts, my Father is speaking to me that we can know I'm engaging with God here. I'm not just doing my religious thing. I am meeting with my Father who's speaking to me. Father, please bless us in that, we pray. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just to back up then, Moses was born at a very bad time. He was born when the people of Israel were in slavery. And not only were they in slavery, which they'd already been in for some uh, many, many years, but they were cut. he'd been born at a time when uh, Pharaoh was becoming particularly cruel and decided to destroy uh, the male children. So as children were being born, they were being wiped out at birth. So Moses was born into terrible circumstances, he was born into a slave community, uh, but he was born at a time when young boy slaves were being killed. Why? Well, because this nation which originally came down into Egypt, led by Joseph, uh, his forefather. Uh, Joseph was uh, an amazing character. He brought help to Egypt when they were going through famine conditions. He was able to interpret dreams. He told them what was going to happen and was rewarded with a position of incredible power. He was made next to the king, really. He was like a prime minister of all Egypt. Uh, but gradually, as the years slipped by, uh, he was forgotten, but the people, just 70 of them, came down, grew and multiplied, until by the time Moses came on the scene, they were a nation of about 2 million. And this was like having a nation within a nation. And Pharaoh became very concerned about the political dangers, maybe the defence dangers, a, a nation within a nation. So he said, let's kill the boys. Let's really impose our power upon them. They'd already turned them into slaves. And so Moses was born at an alarming moment in history for his people. And you know, as the scripture says in the passage before, he was a beautiful boy. And when he was born, by faith, his parents refused to kill him. By faith, they kept him safe, they protected him, they hid him away. Uh, it's a great privilege to be born into a believing home. I did say a believing home, not just a religious home. Uh, sometimes we're a little bit self-conscious when, uh, you know, you're being asked to give testimony. You can be in a youth group and say, oh, would you give testimony? And uh, people say, oh, I was in terrible sin. I became a Christian. And, and then you think, yeah, I was raised in a Christian family and you know, I was saved when I was five out of a, out of a life of terrible debauchery. And uh, you, know, you feel, I've got no testimony. I'm as, you know, I've been in this for so long. But you know, that's not a thing uh, to be ashamed of. That's a thing to celebrate. If you have the massive privilege of being born to believing parents. Parents who believe something. Parents who are gripped by faith. Who've seen more than is generally available to be seen. And pass that information on to you. And so Moses was hugely blessed. He had parents who believed. 
And so when it was time uh, for him to be destroyed, they refused to destroy him. And then you remember the story, I'm sure, when he came to a certain age and the danger was getting greater and greater, they took him and put him in a little ark, a little basket, and, and floated him onto the River Nile. And I'm sure with hope and faith and saying, God, watch over this boy. And uh, they very cunningly put it uh, across the area where Pharaoh's uh, daughter would come. She saw the baby who was beautiful, Scripture says, and, and fell in love with him. I want this baby for myself. And uh, uh, at that very moment, uh, Moses' bigger sister is looking over and seeing what happens and rushes out and says, shall I get a maid to look after the baby for you? And uh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, why not do that? And so uh, then uh, Moses' mother is paid by Pharaoh's household to raise her own child, which I think is hilarious. There's Pharaoh trying to destroy the Israelites and actually paying for the deliverer of Israel to be raised. And so God's looking after this boy, and while he's being raised by his own parents, he has the privilege of learning about who the church is, who the people of God are. What is Israel? Well, Israel, they're the children of Abraham. What did God say to Abraham? Through you, through your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God, God's plan to bless all the nations, all the families of the earth, was different to the way we would have done it. He didn't pour out a little blessing on Mexico and a little bit on Russia and a bit on Thailand. No, no. He chose one guy. He said, Abraham, I will bless you. And through you, I will bless all the nations. Through your seed, through your descendants, all the ends of the earth will be blessed. And so he was God's blessing to the world. I mean, it must have been difficult... Uh, Imagine girls being Sarah. You know, each morning he wakes up and says, good morning Sarah, here I am, God's blessing to the world. Uh, but it was true. He was, he was the way God was blessing the world. He was God's way of doing it. And then through his seed, through that family, growing, growing, developing, that was God's way of blessing the world. And Moses was with parents who believed that and somehow fed that truth into his heart. We are God's answer to world history. And I guess he must have looked and thought, well, we look like a pack of slaves. We don't look very impressive. But she must have imparted something of incredible faith. It's a wonderful privilege, parents, to not just tell our children to do good and be good, but to impart vision and say, God's people are his answer to world history. And uh, somehow that was implanted into his heart. And then that came to the age when he had to be given back into Pharaoh's household. And if you like, he went away to Egypt University. It happens. This boy that's been raised in your care and love, he's sent away to Egypt University. And when he gets to Egypt University, he's exposed to a totally different worldview. He's exposed to our power, our prestige what we've accomplished as a nation. Look at those pyramids, look at our army, look at all that we've accomplished. Amazing, amazing nation. People still study Egyptology. And when I say Egyptology, I mean Egypt at that season, when they were a breathtaking, phenomenal nation. 
I remember one of my sons at university, one of these uh, extra studies included seeing the medical breakthroughs in Egypt at that season. I mean, they were amazing people. And of course, didn't believe in God at all. They had accomplished this. They had produced this. And it was very tangible. You could see it, you could touch it, you could feel the power of their armies. And so Moses, and his heart's got two world values. The world value that his parents had told him, we are God's blessing. God is going to bless the world through the seed of Abraham. We have history in us. And then Egypt University saying, hey, look what we are. This is who we are. Pharaoh, you can be a prince here. I mean, Moses, you can be a, a prince here. You, you, you know, he's actually regarded as a prince there. He's regarded as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's how he's seen. That's how he's understood to be. In fact, Josephus, the uh, old uh, Jewish historian, says that Moses led Egypt's army against the Ethiopians and won a great battle at Memphis. So he was a powerful young prince. He was, in a sense, in that world. And then there came a moment in his life, it says here in Hebrews and uh, chapter 11, what we just read together, by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, when he'd grown up. Notice that. It's not when he was uh, under his parents' uh, control. It's not Moses. Remember what a good Jewish boy would do? Moses, don't do that. No, he's free from all. He's a young prince now. He's felt some of his own strength. Stephen says in Acts 7, Moses was mighty in word and in deed. He was a powerful guy. But when he came to maturity, old enough to think it out for himself, he made an amazing decision. By faith, he refused everything Egypt was offering. It's interesting, we don't, we don't tend to think of faith refusing things, do we? If you, if you hear a message on faith, the emphasis is often, that by faith you can have. You can have this, you can have that. Sometimes you can work, turn, turn on God TV and see what's being offered. And by faith you can be prosperous, by faith you can have one of these and these and one of those as well. And you know, just have enough faith, you can get more and more and more and more. By faith, Moses refused everything on offer. It's a very great contrast. By faith, he refused everything on offer. He said, no, I don't want any of that. I don't want to get caught up in what is being offered. By faith, he saw through it all. By faith, he understood, no, no, God has made us promises that are bigger than what is being offered. Some of the songs we've been singing here this morning uh, reflected on this theme. You may not have noticed it. I have, because I knew what I was going to preach on. But we were singing that great song of Simon Brading's early on in the meeting. And, and it was talking about, no, 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 we are free through the gospel. Gospel has given me everything that I need. It comes to me through him. God has provided for us. And so Moses says, no, I'm not going to get caught up in this passing age. I would rather fix my gaze on something better. So by faith, he refused. It's interesting to see what a contrast that was to the guy who came to Jesus. I just read briefly to you from Luke's Gospel and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus kind of quickly ran through some of the Ten Commandments with him. You shall honour your father and mother. You should not steal. You should not do this. And he said, I've done all these things. I've done all these things. It's interesting, Jesus didn't mention the last one of those, which is, you shall not covet. Jesus kind of left that one out. He just mentioned some of the other horizontal commandments. He said, I've done all those things. And then he said, well, what else must I do? He said, well, give up everything you've got to the poor and follow me. And it says, whoa, I mean, that's, I'm not having that. I can't do that. It's interesting, he wanted to add to who he was eternal life as well. He was a rich, young ruler. He was morally acceptable in his own eyes. I've kept these from my youth, he said. Can I also have, in addition to that, eternal life that's on offer? Is that what you're speaking about? Can I, can I add to this life the promise of eternal life. And Jesus said, well, you just first of all have to put an axe to putting all your confidence in what this world can produce. You have to put an axe to it. You don't just add Christianity. You don't just add Jesus and mix him in. You put a, an axe to it. And that's what Moses did by faith. He refused. He wasn't going to take what was on offer. He understood that this world is passing through. It's, a, it's, it's not here permanently. This is not a world we want to give our lives to because God has put a judgment over it and eternal life has to come out from this world. As we assess the values and see what Moses saw, you need to understand that by faith he refused. He refused to get taken up with it. And it's interesting to see how uh, this rich guy, you might have seen him get through the crisis. There's a rich guy, look at him, pushing through, pushing through, pushing through. And then you see him a few minutes later, he's coming away, and you think, oh, didn't you get to see Jesus? You look pretty miserable. You didn't get to him? And I guess the answer would be, no, I did get to him. But what he said, it, it wasn't what I was hoping for. I thought, I thought I could have this and this. And Moses understood, no, no, you can't have this and this. There has to be a complete awareness that God is inviting us into another, another life altogether. By faith... He refused a position of enormous prestige, power, influence, wealth, and freedom. All that he put aside in his choice. By faith he refused it. So are we saying then that if you have to be a Christian, you have to give up everything? What did, what did the, how did the early church live? How did they work out their involvement with this passing age? It's important we understand how they did that. And you find in Timothy an answer to that, really. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy and the, chapter 6. He says to him, instruct the rich. Instruct the rich. And it doesn't say instruct the rich to tithe. Nor does it say instruct the rich to give up everything they own. He says instruct the rich in this present world, 1 Timothy 6.17, in this present world, there's that emphasis again, this is just a passing age, instruct the rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, 
to be generous, ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of life that is life indeed. Now that's a tremendous statement. It's important for us to understand that there comes sometimes a big crisis in our lives when we say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. We sometimes sing it, Lord, I give you my life, I give you my all. Now for the rich young ruler, that had very specific application. Give everything away. Does that mean all Christians have to do that? No. That's evident from this. But there has to become a new attitude as though that was said to us. And so it says quite specifically, instruct those who are rich. Actually, one translation says command. And the rich aren't always good at being commanded. <laughs> instruct the rich in this present age not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Not to be conceited, not to put false trust there. You might find a similar sort of emphasis in James, where it says in James 4, let me read to you a couple of verses, 4.13, it says, Come now, you who say, today, tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, engage in business, make a profit. James says, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapour that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Now we, we don't always think of ourselves as rich. Maybe here this morning, think, we're not rich. But I think on an international scale, if you go to Mumbai and look at the slums, they're not wondering which child, which university shall I go to? Or where should we go on holiday this year? They're not asking those kind of choices. And, and James says, you say, well, we'll do this this year, we'll do that. We have a certain freedom, and, and we, need, we, can, we can act independently. And, and Timothy says, Paul says to Timothy, don't be conceited, don't, don't feel you run the show. Be free from the attitude, be aware, oh, this life, I'm just borrowing this life. I'm a vapour. I'm not here for long. It's not as though I can just plan. Oh, I'll do this, I'll buy that, I'll do some business over there. Paul says to Timothy, instruct them not to be conceited, but to fix, not to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. The uncertainty. You used to think, you know, when you say, it's in the bank, that sounded safe until more recently. <laughs> the uncertainty of riches. Don't put your trust in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies you with all things. Moses actually made that choice. He had power, had massive prestige. He could do what he liked as a young prince, but he saw how actually that is very, very vulnerable. Egypt could collapse, God couldn't. All of the prestige of Egypt could fade away. God wouldn't. As he weighed up these two worlds, he made a massive decision. He said, no, I'm going to put my trust in that unseen world. I'm going to put my trust in the God who made amazing promises. And although it means I'm going to lose so much, he, he, he did it by faith. 
It's so important for us to see he didn't do it by law. He didn't do it, this is what good Hebrews would do. And if you're a Hebrew, you're not allowed to. It's nothing to do with what you're allowed to do. It's to do with what he actually believed. He made an intelligent decision believing God knew what he was doing. He knows, he thought, I can trust God. Is that the way you think? You see, it has to invade our lifestyle, it has to invade our attitude to money and the way we evaluate life, the way we raise our children, the possessions we feel we ought to have. It invades all that because we say, well, actually, I'm not putting my trust in this passing age. My confidence is in God. And so he says, instruct them to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now, so it doesn't say to them, make them poor. Tell them to give up everything and be impoverished. So this rich young guy that Jesus encountered has an unusual word. He didn't say to everybody, you must give up everything to follow me. The church is not a load of people who lives in ca- live in caves. We don't all make ourselves poor. That's not to be taken from that one story. He said that to a rich young ruler. But here the normal thing is tell them not to be conceited. Tell them fix their hope, not on uncertain riches, because the banks can collapse. You can lose your pension. Put your confidence in God, who supplies all things. Instruct them to be rich in good works, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. There's something about the way we handle money which reaches into the next life. Even now we're the sons of God. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be. There is a world that's coming. There is a day that's about to break. We're told in the scriptures, the night is far gone, day is at hand. Paul says our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. That, that world history is running out. The ozone layer. When we were in New Zealand, they said, be very, very careful here. You get these very gross, ad- we can't call them adverts really, but things on television in Australia all the time saying, keep out of the sun. It's very dangerous. And all the skin cancer. I mean, it's in your face. Every kind of commercial break. And they're very conscious that the ozone layer is very thin over there. And you walk for 20 minutes in the sun, you get quite burned. And uh, why? Well, the ozone layer is thinning. It says in the Bible it'll all wear out like a garment. It's not a surprise to the Christian that the world's falling apart. The Bible says it will. It's running out. The, the, the night's nearly gone. Day is at hand. The world is running down. Glory's coming soon. We're to live for the day and not for the night. It's important, beloved, that the way we work out our Christianity is from huge principles, not little details. Are Christians allowed to do that? Is it 10% before tax, after tax? You know, it's not kind of little details. It's a big issue. This world's not here much longer. And we're not here very long. But new day is about to break out. So the way they were to handle their money was called laying up good foundation for the future. Somehow, the way in which they gave has impact in the future. Somehow, the Bible seems to be saying that as you give, it has ramifications for the future. 
you are saying that I have more confidence in the world that's yet to come. And that has invaded every thought about my life, where I find my security, who I am, the kind of image I want to project. Moses looked at all that. And by faith, he said, no, I've not any confidence in this. I want to step out from Egypt. I want to step out from this passing, very impressive, pyramid-building, incredible army people, because they are actually not going to last long. I want to step into the purposes of God. It's possible to become a Christian and not weigh those sort of things up. To still be quite rooted in world values. Still be thinking, well, you know, this is... And I, the Christianity just helped me to live in this world. In fact, I was amazed. I went to a, a bookshop when we were in Manila. And uh, I was amazed. I went to a Starbucks. And upstairs, there's this huge bookshop in, the Manila, in Manila in the Philippines. And it was a very big bookshop. And I thought, wonder if it'll have a Christian section. And I wondered, wondered if it had a religious section in which there was a huge Christian section. I mean, there were books by Packer, by Piper, by Grudem, by Greg Haslam. I mean, just, I, mean, I couldn't believe, loads and loads of Christian books. I mean, loads of them, really, a lot of them. And then I walked around this rather big bookshop, and uh, on the other side, I noticed there was a, a section called Self-Help. But what I thought was fascinating, that in the Self-Help section, and this is a secular bookshop, in the self-help section, there were two books by quite well-known Christian writers. And I thought, yeah, you've got it right, actually. Because what they're saying is, you can do this. You could become really successful. How to be the real you? How to prosper? How to be successful in this life? And they've missed the point. They're saying, we'll teach you ten ways you can do better. Ten ways for this. Two, and they're trying to make that to be the Christian message. And it isn't the Christian message. The Christian message is, this world has got nothing to offer. We're going to live for another world. We turn our back on this. We, we make choices. We make value choices. What we do with our money, how we raise our children, how we spend our time. We don't just add on or we go to church on Sundays. We say, no, no, I'm not putting my confidence there. I'm building for another life altogether. Moses, by faith, turned his back. He turned his back. He stepped into what God had for him. He trusted in the wonderful provision of God. And it says this. By faith, he identified himself with the despised people. Now, I know when I got saved, that was one of the big challenges I was fascinated in Jesus. I actually got born again. But the church, ooh, it didn't look a fun place to be. Uh, church in those days was very formal. It was kind of 20 years behind the times. No one, everybody was out of date with fashion. That's how you proved you were a Christian. And uh, it, was really, oh, it was really hard. I remember for myself when I... I, 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 was, I was raised in a non-Christian home. I mixed with some lively guys who I really enjoyed being with. They were a load of fun. They were very cool. And uh, they, they, they dressed well. And they mixed with girls who dressed well and looked pretty fantastic. And I enjoyed being part of that deal. 
And uh, I know when I first got saved, I just added going to church with all that I was already doing. I knew I was born again, but I didn't want to leave that culture. I loved that culture. And so for some years, I, I didn't number myself with the despised people. I thought, church is weird. You know, it's good to be born again, and I love hearing what the preacher says. I really feel he's a very helpful preacher, but I don't know if I want to be numbered with it. And so for me, when I, when I, when I came to, a, after four years of being a Christian, God really challenged me, have I got your life? Do I have your life? And it was perhaps the first time I ever knew the fear of the Lord. I really did. I, I felt scared for the first time. I felt God, it was like he was saying to me, do you mean it or not? Have I got you or not? And I really went home with that wonderful gift, the fear of the Lord. I, I thank God for it with all my heart now. But I realised I've got to change. I've got to step out and identify myself with the church. Not just be personally believing in Jesus, but being added to the people who carry world history. Where God has invested his, people, his, his, his purpose. See, God had invested his purpose in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, these people who are going through a bad time. It's like the church today. People mock the church. People mock it. Oh, they believe this. They, and we're so out of step, aren't we, with the culture? We believe in a creator. We believe in loyalty in marriage. We believe in sexual purity. We believe in all sorts of things that are totally out of step with the culture. It's like the aliens have arrived and it's us. <laughs> and and when, do I want to be numbered with that? You know, you, you, believe, you believe Genesis. I mean, you believe God did. You believe in Adam and Eve. You believe it. You're weird. Yeah, am I, do, I, well, no, I just know Jesus. Mm, hang loose. No, no, be identified with. Be part of. I remember once when I'd, I'd made the step, and I remember I was, uh, for the first time, I went out with a young people's group, and they were so different to the young guys I used to go with. I mean, it was like another world. And it was like dying. <laughs> and I remember we, we, we had to go somewhere in the country, you know, and I wasn't used to this. I was just being at jazz clubs and nightclubs and fun stuff. And they were going to the country for a walk. <laughs> and uh, I get on this train, and uh, we have to change trains at Haywards Heath. And I, you know, I'm standing on this platform, and I'm standing around these people, and I'm, I'm still not feeling part of them because I don't really know many. And I, I feel, God, help me, help me, help me. And one of my cool friends jumps off the train and sees me there, says, Hi, Terry. I say, Hi. Hi. <laughs> and he looks around, these people are with me, and. Uh, uh, one girl is particularly standing next to me, and he, and he looks at me, he says, hi, and uh, <laughs> I think, oh God, I'm numbered with the despised people. <laughs> you know, it's, at the time, it was, it was absolutely humiliating, because my pride was in worldly things. Not that I was rich, actually. Didn't have much money to give up, never did have. But it was like saying, okay, I let, this, I let the culture go. I step out of it and join myself, get really identified, build my life around. So, do you go to a small group? Oh, they're weird. And 
Our church a small group. So he's actually come along to the meeting that we heard about. But put in a small group. Oh, do I have to be? Well, you don't have to be, but it's so great to get to know the people of God. Well, the people of God are pretty weird, aren't they? No. They're children of God. <laughs> All shapes and sizes. To just to say, no, I'm going to throw myself in. I'm going to be part of. I'm going to engage with. That's what Moses did. By faith, he refused wealth, prestige, power, and all, it says, the pleasures of sin. The pleasures of sin. The Bible's very honest. It says sin is pleasurable. If it wasn't, there'd be no problem to us. You know, there's an old hymn, isn't it? All the, all the pleasures, for thee, all the pleasures of sin I resign. Famous old hymn has that line in it. And some have changed it in some more modern hymn books. It will say, for thee, all the follies of sin I resign. It's like so we don't admit that sin is pleasurable. No, the Bible's more honest. It is more honest. It says, no, there's pleasure in sin. Otherwise, we wouldn't be tempted. But Moses said, no, I'm not going to give myself for short-term experience that will rob me of long-term joy. I understand. I understand. See, by faith he did it. So important, just to underline this as we're drawing to a close here, it's by faith Moses did it. And if we don't, if we don't turn our back on sin by faith, what are we, why do we turn our back on sin? It's interesting, in, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says this, God has given me grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. God is sending me to the nations. He wants to bring about obedience. So there's, Moses, uh, there's Paul going from nation to nation trying to bring about obedience. Well, God should be obeyed. He created us. We're his creatures. We'll answer to him in the end. It's only appropriate you should obey him. So he's going out to try and bring obedience. But he says, I want to bring about the obedience that comes from faith. What does that mean? It means that we obey because we believe him. Not because, well, you have to. But we understand. See, what was the fall? The fall of man, the Bible tells us this, in the fall of man, our forefathers were tempted by Satan. And Satan said, if you eat what I'm offering you, if you take what I'm giving you, you can be like God. Eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can be like God and then you will know good and evil. In other words, you can make the decisions. It's your choice. You don't need God saying, that's out, that's in. That's out, that's in. You can do that, you can't do that. God's holding out against you. If you eat this, you can be like God and you can say, that's in, that's out. You can be God. You can be your own God. That's what the fall, that's what happened, that's what it's all about in Genesis there. They took what they shouldn't take so they knew. See, people get confused about, the, about what was the fall. You know, Adam and Eve, they were naked, or it's a forbidden fruit, it's about sex. No, it's nothing to do with that. It's about you can be equal with God, you can draw your own conclusions. You don't have to be told. God is holding out on you. He's robbing you. He's making you small. Be as God. You make the choices. I would like to do that. I don't want to do that. And I've weighed it up. I consider it in my opinion, or even in my humble opinion. We've come to a place where I'm in charge. 
And Paul is saying, I'm going around the, among the nations to bring about faith, I mean obedience, that's based on faith. That people obey because they trust God. See, Ab- Moses, by faith, he refused. He, he, did, he made his own choice. I'm not going to get caught up in that. It's not I'm not allowed to. It's not because my mum and dad are breathing down my neck. He's come to maturity. He's a fully grown guy. He's a prince. He made this intelligent choice. I'm not going to do it. Why? I believe God. By faith. See, when I was backslidden Christian, I used to work in London, go up to, go up to town every day on the train, got in with a lot of guys, and they'd say, there's a party on Friday. You coming to the party? And I was kind of between things, all the time between things. I'm Christian, but I'm not living like one. Coming to the party on Friday? And I'd say, uh, well, probably not. Why are you coming on Friday? There'd be loads of booze. There'd be incredible girls there. Come on, come to the party. No, I don't think so. I won't come. And why not? Well, Christians are not allowed to. You see, so on Monday, you come back to work and say, what was the party like? Oh, you'd have loved it. Incredible. You should have seen the booze. I mean, people are blown away. We got up to all kinds of hijinks. The girls, oh, you know. And I think, really? Oh, sounds wonderful. Oh. <laughs> see, but we're not allowed to. I'm not allowed to. Would you like to become a Christian? Then you wouldn't be allowed to. <laughs> See, that, many, many think that's what Christianity is. You get in, once you're in, keep your eye out. Who's, looked, who's watching? Who's comes as a pastor? Mm-mm. You know, someone from church. Mm. What, are, what are we talking about? Are we a load of people who are not allowed to? Or by faith? See, sometimes you have conversations these days and the guys say, you know, we don't want to have sex before marriage. You what? What are you talking about? Well, I intend to keep myself and I want to marry someone and only all your life only have sex with one person. Is that what you mean? Yeah. You're crazy. Well, we're not allowed to do it. That's all, I mean, it'd be nice, but we're not allowed to. <laughs> See, that, is, is that it? Is that it? Or is, no, I actually believe God, the God who made us made the heavens, the earth, made my body, made love, made relationship, made conscience, gave us the explosive joys of sex, knows the best way it works. I believe God. See, if you don't believe God, then it's a hassle all the time. You see, you get out of the computer, you look at the, watch the porn. Oh, somebody come out. Hi. Well, he's looking now. No, no. Who would I rather see, the face of God or that? Said, no, actually, I would rather see the face of God. Blessed are pure and out, they'll see God. Yeah. I want to see God. I'm persuaded. I, I, so we make choices out of faith. We live holy out of faith. Not because, oh, you're not allowed to. God wants people living by faith. God wants us to be happy. Not feeling, oh, well, you know, just have to live a miserable life. No, by faith. It's like elsewhere in the Bible, it makes perfectly clear God wants you seriously committed to giving away money. How much money? <laughs> Before or after tax? No, are you seriously committed to giving away money? It's quite clear from the Bible, right through. It's more blessed to give than receive. Do you believe it? 
Is that, a, is that light to live by? Is that like Jesus said, he that hears these sayings of mine, these sayings of mine, is like a man, and does them, is like a man who digs down deep and builds his house on a rock. He who hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them is like a guy just builds on the surface. But if you hear the sayings of Jesus and believe them, you're very sharp. You've made a very good choice. You see, by faith. See, we associate Moses as the biggest legalist in the Bible, we think of. Because even in Jesus' day, he says to his opponents, you trust in Moses. He means you trust in the law. Moses is so identified with the law, we tend to think of him as a lawman. But here in Hebrews it says, by faith. By faith. He made some foundational decisions. And beloved, he had a tremendous role. By faith he turned his back on so much tinsel. It's so exciting. I remember a guy who became a pastor of one of our churches in London and, and uh, just before he gave notice, he'd already made up his mind, in fact God spoke to him, his boss called him in and he said, we just want to tell you, we're really so impressed with what you've accomplished. We want to tell you our plan for your life. And it was about cars and money and, I mean, there it was, our plan for your life. He'd already made the decision a week or so back, I'm leaving, I'm going to become a pastor. Do we want the world's plan for our life, their values, what they think matters? Or do we want to be radically different? And beloved, we live in a day when this, this nation is not even affected by Christendom. Christendom's gone. General Christian principles that nice people sort of, now nah, it's all gone. It's all gone. Now you do what you like. And you call that being free. So please release me, let me go. Let me be true to my heart. I fancy her more than I do you now. I'm just going to be true. I'm not going to get crazy, crazy. No, no, no. We have to be not just churchgoers, but people who have made radical, foundational choices. Amen? We want to build another value system. We want people, when they meet you, when they come to this church, or they meet you in your workplace, I remember my sister worked for a solicitor in Brighton and he asked to see me because he'd been speaking to her and she'd been witnessing to him. And she said, well, talk to my brother, he's a pastor now. And uh, he came with a very pleasant evening. He said, your, your sister is the most efficient secretary I've ever had. He said, but when we talk about other things, it's like she comes from another planet. Right, she comes from another planet. When we went church planting into Portsmouth, I'll be there next Sunday or the Sunday after, I think, Richard Shaw went in, he went to the estate agent, and they said, why are you moving to Portsmouth? He said, to plant the church. And he said, it was an open plan office. He said, I can still see it. He said, the woman pushed her chair, was on wheels back, and in the open plan office said, she's going to plant the church. Any here, anyone here ever been to church? No one had. No one's been to church. If we're going to arrest the attention of our generation, we've got to be so different. It's got to be like they say, is there something, can you see something I can't see? 
know, the decisions you make, the way you live, the way you don't get caught up in gossip and uncleanness and attitudes to possessions. And it's just like, well, what is it with you? It's not, oh, I go to a church on Sunday. No, no, it, it's right in our lives. By faith, we refuse. We say, no, really, it's got nothing for me. Elsewhere, Paul says this, those who live in the world live as though you had no dealings with it. We have to live in the world. We have to get a wage, look after our wife and children, whatever. We'd be responsible, but somehow it's as though you had no dealings. You don't let it get into your soul. We walk out free. Later on, Moses will lead two million people out of slavery. And the Egyptian army would go under the Red Sea. That would never, never have happened. He would never, ever have counted for God if he hadn't made that personal, secret decision. If he'd done that, if he said, Lord, I really mean what we're saying. You have my life. I want to live for you. I want to live a life that's going to go on into it. Even now we're the sons of God. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be. When he appears, we'll be like him. This world's running out. It's already running down. It's, it's, it's nearly gone. Ozone layer, watch out. Go out for 20 minutes, you get burned. Things are falling apart. I remember the first time I, I, I flew in, in an aeroplane and saw the dawn, saw dawn break. I mean, it was, I've seen it several times since, but it was so vivid, first time I ever saw it. You're looking out this black window for some time and suddenly it's as though someone took a golden pen and just wrote a line right across the horizon. You look at it, it's a golden line. You're just captivated by this. And as you look at it, gradually it kind of opens up and it's gold and orange and red. And then above it, the sky goes a wonderful blue. Below it, it's black. And you watch this and you watch this. And of course, what you're seeing is dawn is breaking. I remember the first time I saw it, it was just before I got into Heathrow. And you come down into Heathrow, and inevitably clouds, rain, you know. So when you land, it's like it's still night. But I, when we were up there, had seen something. I'd seen dawns about to break. I'd seen the day coming. Jesus is the morning star. He's, he's heralding the new day. He's saying, come on, live for the day. Don't live as children of the night. Live for the day. Make big choices. Not because you have to. Not because good Christians won't. No, it makes sense. By faith. Say, Lord, I believe you. I trust you. I want to throw my lot in with you. Let's stand to pray. Maybe you've, uh, you've come as a guest here this morning. Maybe you're coming to Alpha or something or a friend has said, why don't you come to church this morning? Maybe you've never seen. Let me just say quite quickly to you, the Bible teaches God made this wonderful world, this glorious universe. And tragically, we messed it up. You don't have to go far outside this 
workplace, you know it's messed up. It's messed up in the workplace. It's messed up with relationships between employers and employees, men and women. It's messed up so many ways. It will have messed you up somewhere. You will have done things you wish you never did. You'll know, I, I should never have done that. I, and sometimes that comes with huge regret. I should never have done that to her, to them. Or maybe you're, you're, you're full of bitterness towards people who have done bad things to you, and that's messing you up. The Bible says this, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that the pure, holy son of God was born and lived a perfect life, a spotless life of wisdom and power and mercy, kindness. And then he was nailed to a cross. And the Bible says God arranged that. God made him, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. God judged him in our place. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Earlier in the meeting we were being encouraged, you're free, you're free. Why? Well, Jesus paid the ransom. He set us free. Maybe you've never made a step in response to that. Becoming a Christian is saying, I take that seriously. I really understand Jesus died in my place. Maybe this morning is your morning to say yes to God. Say, Lord, I, I, I really want to take that seriously. I want to thank you that you sent your son to die for me. Why don't you do that? Even now, as we just close this meeting, say, God, I'm so thankful to you that you made a way to rescue me from this passing age, this world that won't have much longer. My life, which won't have much longer. But I can know God. Please forgive me. Why don't you ask him to forgive you right now? Say, Lord, please forgive me. Why don't you ask Jesus to come to you? Come right into your life. Be your saviour. Lord, come into my life. Let me just pray a little prayer for you, just to echo in your heart. Dear God, I'd love to know you. I'd love to be able to be free from my guilt. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please give me eternal life. I'd love to just pray for you. If, you. if you prayed that prayer, or wanting to pray that prayer, if you're reaching out to God, while we're all just, uh, our heads are bowed in prayer, I'd love to just pray for you. Would you just, just raise your hand so I can see you where you are, so I can pray for you. Okay, one there, one there, one there, one there, one there. Praise God. 
Okay, just right. Give me, that's right, eye contact with me as well. That would be very good. Excellent. 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 Okay, let me just pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray for these whose hands are raised. I ask you, O oh God, that you will manifest your love to them right now. I pray that you will come to them in ways that make them know God is with me now. I pray they'll know that Jesus, when he cried, it is finished, was saying that salvation is freely available. Thank you, God. I pray let them receive in their hearts the certainty that their sins are forgiven, that they have peace with God, that eternal life starts now. Even now, we're the children of God. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be. When he appears, we'll be like him. Lord, thank you that they start eternal life, bless with certainty as they've reached to you, I pray God. And Father, I just pray for us as a people here this morning that we, by faith, shall live for you. It'd be great if we sang a song with the band come up. We just want to make sure, Lord Jesus, that our lives are thoroughly available. We want to give you worship. We want to live our lives focused on you, believing in you, trusting you. Lord, have your way in our lives to your great praise and glory. In Jesus' name we ask. Lord, be glorified here. I pray for some to make excellent decisions, Lord. I pray for some who have been reluctantly having to try and be righteous. I pray, help us to stand with Moses by faith. Why don't you say to God in your heart, Lord, I, I just want to make that choice. Please come into my life more. Let me be free. Let me be consistent. Let me say no to evil from the heart. Let me choose God from the heart with faith. Lord, make it real for everyone, I do pray. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me just say before we sing that uh, some of you were saying, yes, I want to pray that prayer, or you prayed it. Please, please seek somebody out here. You've seen uh, guys on the platform here and so on, people who are here Sunday by Sunday. Please, please come and speak. Uh, say, can you help me? Can I just pray with somebody? Please don't go away without just making some contact so we can serve you and look after you. I'd also like to pray, if anybody here has lower back pain, right? if you get lower back pain, uh, maybe just standing, it hurts you. Maybe the pain goes down the sciatic, maybe you get lower back pain, or if you get neck and shoulder pain, I'd love to pray for you. And uh, when the meeting's finished, we'll sing a song in a minute. Uh, you can, do you have coffee? We have coffee. We have amazing books worth getting. <laughs> we have prayer for the sick. We have fellowship. We have all sorts of things going on. So the meeting will come to a conclusion in a moment. If you'd like to be prayed for, when we finish the song, uh, just come down here and I'll be down here. I'd love to pray for you. I believe you'll be healed. Uh, so let's just uh, let's worship the Lord and let's uh, enjoy the remaining time. <laughs>